It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 59. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. We're talking Golden Gopher football on today's Go Gopher Podcast. The Gopher guru, Daniel House, from gophersguru.com will join me. He breaks down film, does features, he studies analytics, and a whole bunch more for his webpage. And he's full of great Gopher insight. He's been a guest many times before, and you'll love his visit today. We talk about the new assistant coaching staff, what it might mean in terms of schemes on both sides of the ball, what he's looking for in the upcoming spring practice period, and he also takes a look at next week's NFL Combine as it relates to the four Gopher invitees. Daniel House will be our guest coming up. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone. And True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. Get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. We're also glad to have Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union with us on the Go Gopher podcast. Affinity Plus has been a longtime Gopher supporter and also a major backer of Special Olympics Minnesota, and the Polar Plunges are starting. Affinity Plus is your local credit union throughout the state of Minnesota. Find out more at affinityplus.org slash gogophers. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland and Champ Champlininsurance.com. We are podcasting episode 59 from the Aquarius Home Services studio. We invite you to subscribe to the Go Gopher podcast. You can also go back and listen to previous Go Gopher podcast. Last week, for example, we talked with Gopher great Pat Micheletti on Gopher hockey and his incredible family. If you missed it, I promise you'll enjoy it, so go back and listen. It's free to subscribe to the podcast and free to listen at any time. This week, it's episode 59 with an absolute Absolute Golden Gopher Football Info rock star, Daniel House. He joins us next. I'm Clay Geary, walk-on, turn scholarship, wide receiver for Gopher Football. And I'm Ben Utek, U of M alumni, Super Bowl champion, and Tony Dungy Uncommon Award winner. We understand championship culture, which is why we're part of the True North family of companies. True North invests in only elite teams, like the champion team at Sunbelt Business Advisors. With more brokers, buyers, and offers, Sunbelt gets owners 15% more than the market average. Learn more about this True North company at sunbeltminnesota.com. Hi, Gopher fans. Switching is easy. We do it all the time. We switch on lights. We switch TV channels. We switch on the TV. And with the new transfer portal, some college students even switch colleges, which can seem crazy to us diehard fans. But what's not crazy is how you can switch and save with State Farm. In fact, my agency can switch you over so we can start saving today. My team is ready to welcome you to the State Farm neighborhood and show you it is, in fact, easy to switch and save. When you want the real deal, check us out at champlininsurance.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to episode number 59, the Go Gopher podcast. We're going to be talking some Golden Gopher football. The spring game date was announced. It's April the 22nd, 11 a.m. at Huntington Bank Stadium. And I know a lot of folks are excited. Spring practice actually gets underway in a little over three weeks from now. And we're going to talk some Gopher football here with the Gopher guru, Daniel House. He returns to the podcast. It's always great to be able to have Daniel on to talk football. He's got great insight, great perspective. 
golfersguru.com is the webpage. Daniel, good to see you. Grimmer, always good to see you. I, I was wondering if you were going to make it on for this pod coming all the way from Maryland, but you, you did it. The, you accomplished the goal. We were on the road with the basketball team, two feet of snow or so in Minneapolis, and uh, God bless the pilots who got us in. Uh, as we taped this on Thursday, they got us in today, and um, only uh, to get back to know that now I get to hop in the car and drive to Lincoln tomorrow morning for the game Saturday. So that's always fun as well. You'll make it work, man. That's why you're the best in the biz. Yeah, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. Well, hey, you've been uh, breaking down some film from the Golden Gopher 2022 season, uh, the regular season, the bowl game. We're now looking ahead, certainly, to uh, the spring practice period, which is upcoming next month. And, you know, we're only a week away from March and three weeks from practice starting. Uh, The spring game, as we mentioned, April 22nd. And then before you know it, August will be here. I'm not trying to rush summer because, gosh knows, with 25 (laughs) inches of snow outside, we we don't want summer to go away that quickly. But it will be here before we know it, August, and then the season will start. And so there's a lot to talk about, certainly. And even as we are uh, taping the podcast right now, there's some transfer news as well. And uh, all of that will be uh, worthy of discussion. New coaches. Uh, in fact, maybe that's where we can start. Let's do that, Daniel House, with uh, GophersGuru.com. Uh, the Gopher coaching staff, as it has now for a few years, has uh, has a little bit of turnover. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a great thing. You'd love continuity, but I also think it means that uh, PJ Fleck has hired good coaches who are who are valued at other spots, and uh, most of those times a guy leaves it's for a better position and upward mobility and I think Fleck has talked about the idea that that's the kind of staff he wants uh, you know achievers and guys who are looking so that has created some uh, some holes and let's start by uh, talking about both coordinators really there's three right uh, in terms of new guys or new assignments and we'll start on the offensive end uh, very familiar faces uh, taking the place of Kirk Shiraka who left for Rutgers uh, the wide receivers coach and the tight end coach Matt Simon and uh, John Harbo uh, are the uh, not John Harbo, Greg Harbo are the uh, two guys that will be co-offensive coordinators. So, your thoughts? I I like the idea of having just a collaborative room of guys that have been around the program. So, you know, you have a feel for the current personnel and some of the things that they've done in the past. And then PJ was able to bring in some other staff members to complement that. I I'm most fascinated just to see how they put their spin on the offense. You know, it's been the RPO game and, you know, the ability to pair that up with play action and then the, the run it rushing attack, obviously being the bread and butter of what they do, executing that at such a high level. Now I want to see how the offense evolves with them. You know, they brought in some personnel at the wide receiver spot with Elijah Spencer and uh, Crooms and, you know, just building that wide receiver room with some dynamic players there. And then, you know, running back Sean Tyler from Western Michigan. So getting faster, having some threats at the receiver position, opening some things up to be, you know, multidimensional offensively. I know balance has been kind of the buzzword that everybody talks about. They think 50-50 is kind of the the end-all be-all when you're talking about balance, but I think it's multidimensional. You know, that's how I look at it is being able to take what the defense gives you and, you know, be able to create space in the passing game. And, you know, if they're loading the box, you're able to win vertically and then, you know, create space underneath and spread the football around to all your playmakers. I mean, they have a lot of intriguing playmakers in that receiver room and then, Brevin Span Ford now coming back as well as a huge addition, you know, huge part of that that playmaking room. So I look at Harbo and Simon. And I, I want to see how, you know, the offense evolves, you know, screens, generating more yards after the catch, uh, maybe some, you know, blending in some pace occasionally, just some things that they can do to 
sort of complement what they do really well and build around the personnel that you have because that's that's the best thing you can do is maximize the personnel that you have. Yeah, I think they've there's no question that they've upgraded some of the receiver spots offensively with the transfers, and then we'll see with Chris Ottman Bell as well coming back what what mm-hmm. uh, you know how he recovers from injury, and then maybe the biggest change uh, in the entire offense is the quarterback position, right? With Ethan Kelly at right. Dennis, the uh, you know he's a sure shot starter, uh, you know, barring some sort of injury, that's the guy that uh, is going to get the first snap on that season opener there's no there's no question about that uh and so the question too to me is what will those two guys do if anything to change the look of the offense with a quarterback who has a different skill set than our buddy Tanner Morgan who has been you know a five-year starter and was very successful the winningest quarterback in the program's history um but with Calic Manis there are some different skill sets and I wonder what do you mm-hmm. think what do you think that uh, well, I mean I don't we see a whole I don't think we're going to see a whole like hey no. you're just going to throw it 75 times a game but I wonder uh what we might see in terms of change based on the quarterback position well, I'd say, you know, the core basis of what they do will remain the same, you know, the RPO game, but then what do they do off of that with play action, being able to throw the ball down the field. And I look at, you know, Corey Crooms, for example, is targeted 32 times on passes of 20 plus yards last year. That was the sixth highest mark in the FBS. And then you look at Elijah Spencer in man covered situations, he averaged 3.6 yards per route run, which was 18th among FBS receivers. So the ability to win in man coverage and stretch downfield are intriguing traits. And Elijah Spencer is very good in contested catch situations. When I went through and watched uh, Charlotte film, I was impressed with how he's able to win uh, in, in those traffic situations. So those two guys being able to stretch vertically and then also create yards after the catch. I talked a lot about that on the website, being able to improve yards after the catch. It's been a trend, you know, over the past four or five years, being able to, you know, improve in that area. We'll talk a lot about that this off season. I've been studying a lot of things related to yards after the catch. So with that being said, you know, having those playmakers like that and Ethan's ability to throw the ball downfield, you know, 20 plus yards and, you know, maximizing getting the ball around to all your playmakers, it helps you create space in, in the passing game underneath. And they're able to stretch the seam with Brevin Span forward, get a lot of coverage attention. Maybe they're bracketing players on the outside, like Daniel Jackson, emerged last year as I mean just made strides as the season progressed you think about him and Spencer and Bell Crooms maybe Dalen Wright putting all the pieces together and and Brockington and Brockington Christian Hoskins like they have a lot of competition in that room now it's right where I'd like to see it like last year I thought maybe they were one or two receivers away from really having a complete room there now they have a lot of competition to push players and then Build around, like you said, Athens got some mobility. So, what does the quarterback run game look like? Are they able to incorporate some of that in there? Uh, there is a lot of intrigue to what they can do offensively. That's why I say, you know, early down passing, screens, generating yards after the catch, uh, some of the things they do maybe with the quarterback run game. Like, I, I can't wait to go to spring practice and just kind of get a feel for some of the things they're doing. Yeah, and 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 how they handle that for sure. And and with Cali Manis, um, just as an offshoot to our conversation, uh, what did you see from him in the Wisconsin game where he was freshman of the week through for 319 yards? And then in the bowl game, he started hot as a pistol. Was it 8 for 10, I think? He hit 8 for his first 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a unique look at, at, at that um, because uh, the press box was in the end zone. So you don't get to see that end zone look very often. Very hard as a radio guy to try to call a game from the end zone. That's 
said, it was a unique look to see. Um, there were at least two passes he threw that when he let them go and I saw them go from my perspective, because I'm just not used to that angle, I'm like, uh-oh, where's he throwing that? And it ends up right on target, right on time. And I'm like, man, this is kind of fun to watch from here. Um, and, it, yeah. you know, maybe there's some throws that we haven't seen. So based on, let's say, about those six quarters of Wisconsin and Syracuse, five and a half quarters, what was your assessment? Because um, at least statistically, it looked like he was at a pretty high level. Yeah, arm talent and ability to put the ball in those tighter windows is something that Ethan can do at a high level. Now it's just all about those. The experience that he gained at the end of last season is huge because right. he can he knows where he's at. You know, the processing of the game, the speed of it, handling all the things that you got to deal with. You know, standing at the line of scrimmage, what things you're looking for, getting players in the right spot. You know, the checks at the line of scrimmage, all those different things that you have to do, seeing the field. Uh, all the tasks that are required to play quarterback at a high level, you know, there were so many flashes where, you know, being able to throw the ball vertically and fit it in with accuracy downfield and, you know, being able to, you know, have the ability. We saw this even in practices, just being able to step away from the pressure, extend just enough to buy that a half second and, and get the ball out. You know, I talked to a lot of players, you know, former players are telling me, you know, like there's a lot of splash plays in practice when nobody's there, like where you're going, man, that, that just shows you the flashes. So think about, when it all comes together, you know, when he, when he has the, the confidence and the experience and he went into this off season, gaining a ton of stuff from just getting a few snaps at the end of last season. And now with, you know, Greg and Matt working together to develop a system and playmakers around him, it, it'll be fun to see, you know, how they accentuate his strengths, because I think the vertical element with those receivers that they brought in and that room that they have combined with, maybe trying to screen more, use the QB run game, you know, get the ball out in space. There's just a ton of different options that definitely we'll be talking about on the site as the offseason progresses. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Obviously, we know the kid has talent. Now it's just a matter of, mm -hmm. you know, how it how it gets processed and how uh, progress or what progress he makes. You, you know, and you mentioned you talked to some former players and even I think current players talk about it. I had Newbin on this podcast, Tyler Newbin, the, uh, the you know, All-America candidate safety who is coming back for the Gophers. It was, you know, maybe three quarters the way through the season uh great interview kids so impressive uh and that's why i'm thrilled he's back not just because he's a good player mm -hmm. but those are the kind of kids you want to keep around the program just from a leadership standpoint but when the when the podcast was all done um then we're just kind of standing around you know uh, walking you know out of the out of the studio and i just i don't remember even how it came up but i said something about you know how, how do you you know how do you like Ethan and he he didn't really say anything but he gave the look he kind of gave me the look like just wait man I mean this kid he's like just wait you know and and so that was enough for me to understand that that there's something to be excited about there for number eight I think yeah it's the, the upside is there I mean it's just now it's 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 all about putting everything together put him in the best positions to be successful that's that's the key all right, so we've talked about the offensive coordinator. Uh, one of the coaches that came here with uh, P.J. Fleck from the very beginning was Kenny Burns. Uh, he has gotten his shot at a relatively young age as a head coach. He is off to Kent State. Sounds like he's off to a pretty good start recruiting-wise as well, which is no surprise for anyone who's been around. And that and that Mac is just such a, you know, it, it's a year-to-year -year deal in terms of, you know, uh, who can make the run and who has the cycle of veteran players and uh, who can withstand 
in the transfer portal and then add and and so I'm excited for Kenny Burns to get his shot what that does of course is is frees up uh, the running back coaching position for the first time and running back has been a staple clearly in the time that PJ Fleck and his staff has been here with with Ibrahim and Smith and Brooks and who else are we forgetting a bunch of guys in there um, and they've got uh, now uh, you know some question marks just in the sense that there's no Mo for the first time in a long time and Nick McKissick Luke is the new running backs coach and what can you tell us about his background a little bit and uh, what do you foresee from him taking over uh, you know a spot that uh, frankly has some big shoes to fill yeah it's I look at McKissick Luke's background and I see someone who's worked under a really good running backs coach with Thomas Hammock who was on John Harbaugh's staff for five seasons in Baltimore and has a track record of doing a lot of great things with running backs and and the rushing scheme as well and there's other ties as well McKissick Luke was at Youngstown State that's where Jim Trestle was president for a while one of PJ's mentors I'm sure he provided some feedback on the hire McKissick Luke did a nice job with Tevin McMaster at Youngstown state as a special teams background. So potentially could help with the return game in that area too. I think that's always an added bonus when you have coaches that have experience in, in that specific area at multiple stops and he's at South Dakota state for a while. So, you know, just a diverse background at all levels. And you, you look at coaches that have coached at that lower level and worked their way up, you know, they're working with less, you know, overall talent you know from a rating perspective so they're 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 tasked with coaching the fundamentals and working a lot of different things to get players in the best positions to be successful so uh nick mckissick luke is someone that i think you know a- attractive job for him to come to minnesota you see you know with kenny burns elevating up and i mean mike hart worked with pj for a while and he's at michigan now so i mean you look at the ability to elevate up in that position it, it's attractive and i think he provides a lot of intrigue in terms of, of, of his background and what he's done in the past. And I mentioned there's some question marks within the running back room because there's no Mo. I guess technically that's the first time Mo hasn't been. Uh, I mean, that's this will be the first time P.J. Fleck has a team that Mo is not part of because that very first team, uh, yeah. Mo was on the scout team. So you think about that. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but that's the case. So it will be a different looking room. There will be certainly some familiar faces in that room as well. So give me a little breakdown. Uh, and and then, of course, they hit the uh, the recruiting hard. They got a transfer kid in as well. Uh, give me a breakdown of the re- running back uh, room, if you would. Yeah, yeah. you look at Sean Tyler. It's, it's so intriguing when I dug into the numbers a bit. Initially, I was like, wow, he had a 49.3% breakaway run percentage. So breakaway run percentage measures a back's ability to break off a big play, essentially. So it it takes the, per, the, the percentage is calculated by taking the yards gained on runs over 15 yards and then dividing it by a rushing yard. So he was doing a nice job of creating explosive runs. And then the ability to add speed, you look at you know his track background, going back to high school, someone who can threaten you in space, make the first player miss. You know That's a huge part of the zone scheme is being able to do that. So I look at him with the acceleration and short area quickness, being able to threaten second level defenders in space and then provide that element as a receiver. And then you, know, you look at Zach Evans, someone who, I was very high on when Minnesota landed him out of Texas. You know, people got to remember played 6A football in Texas. So he's got some seasoning. He's played against really good competition. We saw a flash late in one of the games last year, just this guy, his ability to accelerate. I think that's one of his best traits. You know, you saw it on his high school film and just being around practices a little bit. Like he he can hit the hole and go and, and has is starting to develop that feel for, for blocks and the, the instincts of the running back position. So I think he's definitely someone who 
has a lot of upside and will get better with uh, more reps. And then Darius Taylor being one of the prize players, just an explosive weapon from this last recruiting class, winning out a big recruiting battle there to land him. I'm so intrigued to see uh, what he can do. Like I haven't watched him in a, in a live setting yet. So spring practice definitely is going to be something I'll be watching. And then obviously Trey Potts returns yep. um, and, and, um, Bryce Williams returns, uh, it sounds like. So Bryce will be here for, for a while. Uh, well, this will be a seventh year maybe, right? Am I right about that? Is this seventh yep, for Bryce? Yep. Yeah. I believe it's seventh. Yeah, it's crazy how the COVID year and everything. You can't even keep track of all the years that these guys have been here. But like you said, the experience of them being able to have them in that room as some of these younger players you know, continue to develop and you can dash reps in for them. Uh, it's it's exciting about you know kind of the next era of the the running back room here because Kenny Burns left this thing in a really good position like you said Kenny he's going to do a great job at Kent State yeah, and I'm interested with Potts too because he flashed so much two years ago and was not the same running back last year but I I, I have to believe that there were both physical and maybe even you know some some doubts in his head uh, as he was getting the football at times based on the significance of the injury he suffered so I wonder if uh, putting another season now behind that and getting another offseason work that if he won't I'd love to see that kid get back into his comfort zone and and flash the way he did two years ago absolutely I, I believe that this will be you know a season where you know Trey Potts is going to get a lot of opportunities and you know, like you said last year, just coming back, adjusting back to playing again after everything that happened. So, you know, him and Bryce, they'll they'll definitely have a share of reps as well as with Sean Tyler, who's a different type of skill set at the back position, like I was describing earlier. So they have a lot of different skill sets that they can work with in that position room. And I'm also intrigued to see how they can maybe get the screen game going for those guys. Because, I mean, Bryce Williams has shown that capability occasionally, Trey Potts. Sean Tyler, all those guys can can catch the football. And I think that's one of the elements that certainly as I've been studying NFL and college stuff uh, recently, I think being able to incorporate the backs into the passing game really adds a lot to your offense because, you know, a lot of these teams are stretching vertically and, you know, the defense is accounting for all these dynamic weapons, you know, bracketing. And when you're able to extend vertically, you're able to get a lot of opportunities underneath for the backs. And these pass rushes get so aggressive, being able to drop a screen in there right behind that pressure, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. All right, let's move on to the other uh, coach on offense who's been added with Harbo going from tight ends coach to co-offensive coordinator. I think Harbo is also going to work with the quarterbacks. Uh, that brings in Correct. Andrew Soder, uh, the new tight end coach. Tell us about his background and what you uh, foresee his strengths to be, and uh, then we'll then we'll talk about the tight ends on on the roster after that. I'm so intrigued by Andrew Soder. He has a really unique background with Sean Lewis at Kent State, who just became Deion Sanders' offensive coordinator. And he worked in a really efficient offense. You know how I describe it is like it's that Big Ten physicality mindset with a little bit of up-tempo spread, you know, blending those two things together. They stretched teams vertically. They had a really good screen game. And they built a, a really dynamic rushing attack that sort of complemented the passing concepts that they have. So, you know, you got the defense thinking about, man, this looks similar to a rushing concept, but really it's a pass. And they're able to make little subtle tweaks off of that that, make them sort of hard to defend. And he has a background, you know, with the spread offenses and stops and power read stuff. So I think you can maybe tie the power read stuff play into the play action and RPO games and sort of maybe comp, you know, take advantage of Ethan Kelly McManus's athletic ability. 
Uh, he, he's offenses, you know, when you look at them, the screen game is something that was really noticeable. And I wrote about this on the website, the numbers between Kent state and Minnesota, when it comes to screen passes, Kent state love to run screen passes. And I know that they repped them a lot, you know, hard day one screens on air, you know, they're moving defenders all over to just simulate if people don't realize how hard it is for offensive linemen to block in space, change direction, do all the things that you have to do to execute a screen game. They did a ton of that and kind of used it as a form of conditioning at Kent State. So I'm watching that as something that he can help install some of this dynamic screen game into the offense to add a new element. And then some of the concepts in the rushing side of it. I mean, he's worked with a lot of really good offensive line coaches. Randy Clements at Baylor was with Brian Callahan at Eastern Illinois. So they already have chemistry. They were actually together with Jimmy Garofalo at Eastern Illinois. Uh, Bill O'Boyle, who was just hired as Dion's offensive line coach as well. He's one of the more creative and, you know, respected minds when it comes to uh, modern rushing concepts. So the background that he has is super unique. And I think it's something that he can bring some, some fresh perspective and ideas to Minnesota's offensive room to kind of collaborate with, with everybody that's elevating up in that room. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, we didn't talk about this, but uh, from that standpoint, too, there's uh, who's a guy from Miami of Ohio who's coming in um, as an analyst? I mean, that guy, was he offensive coordinator there for a, for a minute? Correct. Eric Kohler, he was OC and assistant head coach, worked with the QBs there. He's coming in as an analyst as well. And, I mean, you look at him, uh, Keegan O'Hara as well. He worked with uh, – with uh, Brian Hartline, the wide receivers coach at Ohio State, so one of the top wide receiver coaches in the country. And he brings some perspective of being in a Ryan Day offense that I have a lot of respect for and spent a lot of time studying. So bringing in some experience there, I mean, there's a lot of play calling experience yeah. coming in here. I mean, you got you got uh, Soder, who it was an offensive coordinator. You got uh, Kohler coming in as offensive coordinator. And then you got, you know, the perspective of Keegan O'Hara as well. You're getting to that spot now where I think teams are starting to prepare with these analyst roles, knowing that the NCAA is probably going to eventually limit the cap and they're going to allow those guys to work on field and coach in that capacity. So they're expanding their staffs in preparation for that. So uh, that could be potentially some of the reason why they're they're attracting these schools are attracting some of these guys for analyst jobs. So before I get over to the defensive side, I guess the the, the put a bow on the offensive side. And you you mentioned a lot of really interesting concepts in terms of screen games and uh, speed the pace up a little bit the way that uh, Kent State did with Soder and and a bunch of these guys. And then you've got Simon and Harbo who certainly will have their philosophies and they have been around here and then pj is set in a certain way it seems with what he wants to do how do you think it all ends up where will this offense what will it look like if you could uh, you know spin a ball on the roulette wheel and take a gamble as to you know if you had to place a winning bet how will this offense and balance i know is you know is relative but how do you think it'll look how do you think uh, things will go that's the million dollar question, man. If I if I could go in that room right now and just sit for like a week and just hear what they're doing and and kind of listen to how they're going to build this thing, I I, I want to know. Like, I don't think they're going to shy away from you know being a a rushing pound the rock type of team. I think that's so important. You know, you look at Kent State what they did. They were very very physical. You know, inside zone power stuff, and then just tying the passing game into that. So, you know, Minnesota has shown that they have a diverse rushing scheme and they've executed that extremely high level. So 
that's that's the bread and butter. But now tying the the run game into that passing attack, you know, I think I said it earlier with multidimensional offense. You know, layering your passing concepts from drop back to RPO to play action and spreading the ball around to create space for your playmakers. I think that's the key. Everybody thinks that you know balance is all about. 50-50, but really it's about getting all of your playmakers involved, distributing the ball all over, making the defense account for all your playmakers. That will naturally create space. So I think those are a couple things, spreading people out, using some pre-snap motion to get some coverage identification and displacing uh, defenders in the run game. And like I said, screen, slowing the pass rush down. And then, you know, you don't have to be run and gun, but I think varying the pace and the tempo is something that's very useful. And there are certain times to do it. Like I spent a lot of time studying when it, when is the right time to use tempo. And I think there's some there's some secret sauce there. So I'm interested to see if that's something that Minnesota sort of incorporates in. But those are some of the things I'm I'm watching for. Among many things, we got a lot of time to talk about it. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm super intrigued because they got a lot of perspectives, Grim, like just unique perspectives coming in here on the offensive side of the ball. And, and you mentioned a few of them, but the existing personnel and the coaching staff side with the new guys, I, I'm intrigued. Yeah, and those analysts, oftentimes, as you mentioned, they they're not allowed to, to to get in and do drills and coach. But a lot of what they'll do is is game planning, game prep. They'll study film and they'll offer insights. And I think it's important, you know, particularly when you got you know a couple of first time coordinators who we love and have called games before and now you, you factor in the experience uh, in support of those guys and it, it should be good and I agree with your pace the, the comment on pace especially with this team um, in the past I, I and I understand they wanted to and I, I have no qualms with it I know some people do I have no qualms with with the you know run the clock now there were times where I thought running the clock down to one second every time was a was a was a nuisance and it didn't it didn't help particularly two years ago I didn't think that helped Tanner Morgan much but I, I understand the purpose of it. That said, um, there were some games, for example, Purdue Purdue this year at home, and maybe Illinois on the road, where nothing's really going. It's hard. Um, it would have been, I think, a good time. And I know that in their mind that that they felt like, hey, this isn't this isn't our identity. We don't want to do it. But just for a change of pace, see what happens. Purdue certainly wasn't going to be ready for it, right? Go run a no huddle. Go run a hurry up. Do something just to see if you can, you know, uh, uh, put some life into it. You know, jumpstart it. You know, uh, uh, put the defibrillator on it. Something. Um, and so I agree with you. I'd like to see it. I'm not saying every you know every game run 7,500 plays, but if there's four even five times in a season in a 13 game season there might be five to eight times where it's like man we got to do something here let's try hurry up or pace or something you know plus if you show it on film it just means it's another half hour that the other analyst and the other defensive staff has to worry about getting ready for yeah and it's if it's done at the right times there's some unique times to to try using tempo i think teams should take advantage of if a college team wants to hire me for that insight then hey I'll, <laughs> it's I'll the gophers it, guru.com yeah the, the yeah that's the uh, behind the scenes content but uh i i think the the whole idea of pace is like it, it gives you an injection of energy offensively like if you need to find a rhythm sometimes that can provide it like you watch no so many of these games and you study the game like I do. I like to watch the TV copies of games to just get a feel for the flow. Like I think some of these coaches get ingrained in the idea of like, let's just watch the games and film cuts. Like everybody just cut up third down, second down, first down. I think you gain a lot of value watching the flow of the game, just just the actual game copy, because you can feel the ebbs and flows and understand how everything fits together. 
And I, I, I just feel as if that the pace is something that a lot of teams don't capitalize upon. And I, you can go, you can go way too far down that line. Like you can run way too many plays and you put so much pressure on your defense. If you can find a way, the right way to blend big 10 physicality ball control with a little bit of pace to keep the defense sort of on their heels, I think that's a recipe for, for success. Yeah, you are uh, are barking up the tree that I've been barking up for almost 20 years. Um, and I love all coaches, and I know they work hundreds of hours. The th- and uh, the, I watch games, and I'm not claiming to be a genius, but I watch games, and it, it um, and not I'm not talking specific to the Gophers here by any means, but just watching no. games in general, even NFL games. These are the top of the world 1% best coaches right ever coaching in the NFL and some of the game management decisions they make are baffling. And for 20 years, I've been talking about this idea that the the, the problem is this coaches. Yes, they work hard. They watch hundreds of hours of film. They tell their analysts, they tell their GAs, they say, Hey, uh, get me, um, you know, get me all the cutups of this week's opponents, uh, second and mid range and two point conversions and onside kicks. And uh, what happens when they run out of the shotgun? And, and so they do this and they, they have to, but that's all they do. And then, and then they know what to do in a specific situation, but none of it is in relation to how the game is going. It's None of it is ever in relation to, well, what do they do on third down in the fourth quarter? And how should we respond? Because here there's four minutes left in the game, and the decision might be more valuable to make in, rel- in relation to the time than it is in relation to what the other team might do on most second and eights. You know what I'm saying? And and coaches just get lost in that. And I understand it. They're working hard. There's only a limited number. But I I couldn't agree more. There, there have been some teams now that have employed game managers in the press box, right, where their sole purpose is to calculate uh, percentages of what to do here. And I, I, I think that might be overboard. But I do think there are times in games where coaches um, lose track of things because that part of the – preparation gets lost i will say this watching pj flex teams practice they do a lot of game situations they practice a lot of that stuff but um uh, you know i'm going back to my time covering the st louis rams for example when i lived in st louis and um that 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 would sometimes drive me nuts at the nfl they would just be so uh strategic and analytical and then forget that it's an actually, you know, it's a 60-minute game with specific situations that call for specific decisions and sometimes you get lost in that well, and that's what I think PJ is outstanding with is the situational side of it. Like they rep so many different things. Like when I go to their practices, I've been to a lot of different practices. I like to study how people practice. Like what are the things that they do? And PJ is so articulate, detailed when it comes to repping every situation. Like I remember going last year to spring ball and he's talking about situations, when to put the ball over the goal line. Like all those little yeah. details are covered in practice and he does a great job of that where I think sometimes coaches lose sight of that where they're not focused on making sure that those things become instinct in games rather than the the first time you're doing it is is a game you want to make it hard in practice so that you get to the point when you're in the game it's just instinct you're going out and doing it the games are easy and so you know like you said being able to Feel the flow of the game that you know you can definitely go the, the game management route and have all that but I think being able to blend football instinct with that, you know, analytical side, that's where the sweet spot is. No, no question, 100%. Even like let's say there's let's say you got a, you know, 8 point lead with 4 minutes left in your second and 8. 
what what you have watched 100 hours of film on that week on second and eight, here's our best second and eight plays. And if none of them involve handing the ball off, none of them are any good, right? But because the situation in the game should dictate that you want to run time. But um, the best plays for second and eight on your play sheet are probably the top five are passing plays out of shotgun. And if you're up four, the other team has no timeouts, and you're up eight. I'm sorry, if there's four minutes left, you're up eight. There's The other team has no timeouts. There's no way you should be throwing that football, right? But that's what the play sheet says, and that's sometimes what a coach will do. And then it's incomplete, and all of a sudden you're punting the ball back, and people are wondering what you're doing. And that's a very simplified version. And I suppose there's some analytical guy out there who's going to say that I'm crazy on that. But to me, that that's just a simplified version of what I'm what we're talking about. There is that um, sometimes on your play card, the best second and eight play doesn't fit. The situation in the game, so you have to find the best situation in the game. I think too often coaches don't want to veer away from that play card because they justify it by, oh man, I've, I've watched 128 hours of film this week, and this is what the best play for second and eight is, and it might not be. Well, game state matters so much, like how, how much you're up by, what the score is. You know, like if you're playing from behind, you want to protect the lead. Like all those things matter, and you got to be thinking a couple plays ahead, like you said, the second and eight. And you're going, is this two down territory here? You know, you got to think a couple plays ahead. I think that's something that I've heard a lot about Brett Bielema and the mindset of Barry Lenny and him, where they're, they're thinking a couple plays ahead. They reach a certain spot on the field and they're going, this is where we're comfortable going for it. You know, and we're, we got a two play mindset on second down. You're thinking about already thinking about the next couple of plays, knowing right. that you'll probably go for it on fourth down. So it's, all those little things, this game is so complex. It's so fascinating, though. Like, I sit down and, and love studying these decisions and how people handle it. Uh, that that's the fun part for me. Yeah, no question. And I think it'll be fun to see how this Gopher offense evolves, and uh, with you know, with with Absolutely. a new quarterback and a bunch of new other playmakers where it heads. Okay, so we have gone a long time here talking offense, and that's fine. Uh, a couple <laughs> of new defensive coaches as well, and I'm excited about both of them. I really excited. Uh, we had Winston Delatabadir, former Gopher, on this podcast about a month ago. He couldn't have been more excited. He was so uh, you know, he was always a great guy to interview. He did great work for the community when he was a player here and here's a guy who is just a couple years out of college now who is a big 10 assistant coach um and um i think it's a great hire you know i think it's a great hire both for recruiting and for technique and he's worked under a bunch of guys even here he had three or four different defensive line coaches and marcus west was one of those who got him a shot as a ga at charlotte and on to oregon with another former gopher assistant football coach and uh then off to kent state with some connections he made at oregon uh, as a as a full-time assistant and 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 here he is so um if people haven't listened to that podcast i encourage him to go back and listen i know daniel you said you had a chance to listen to it and um man he's just such a ball of energy and i'm i'm thrilled even though he's young because people say man that's a young that's a young guy to be coaching in the big 10 i think he's i think he's all there for it i think it's the right the right call to bring him back yeah and joe rossi and him have worked together before like joe's got a great feel for which staff members fit, you know, which guys are going to provide value and then fit into this NIL landscape where it's like you got a young guy now providing, uh, you know, that next gen approach to recruiting and connecting in that way, having a young member on staff and that type of role is great. And he's also went to school here. He's there for a long time, knows the tradition of the school, understands a lot of that. So, you know, there's like a newcomer coordinator title attached to the defensive line coach role as well. So, 
he's definitely going to be helping in, in that respect as well. So you mentioned it as well, the background side of it with Winston Deladevadir. I think the biggest thing is going back to the year he spent in Oregon with Mario Cristobal. And he was a GA there. He accepted that offer and he worked with Kayvon Thibodeau in 2021. And he was responsible for scout team offensive line looks. And that was a big responsibility, especially since Mario Cristobal is an offensive line guru. Like he is one of the top offensive line minds in the country. So Winston learning through that lens, understanding already what it's like to be a player setting up pass or right. moves, but thinking through the prism of how offensive linemen approach certain things in the schemes and all the details. Like people have no idea how complex offensive line play is. I think people just watch the games. They turn on, they go, man, uh, outside zone, inside zone. Like there are so many variations, you know, you got, you know, tight zone, all these different things coming off of that where you have different aiming points for the running back, different techniques for the whole line. Like it is a complex process. So Winston having that background to teach players, Kind of the reverse way of, of learning is something that's valuable. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned um, his background because in the podcast that he was on with us, um, he talked about his time at Oregon, not only with Cristobal, but um, uh, is it Joe Morehouse was the OC there. He ended up getting the job at Akron. But that was the connection, how he got the defensive line coach. He brought him Winston with. And that what you mentioned there is exactly why. So – Winston was in charge of the scout team defense and giving the offensive line looks. And Morehouse would come over, he said, regularly and say, "What you know, here's this and why is this and why in this? He said, I always wondered, why is this offensive coach just keep coming over and asking me questions, you know, about it? And he said, little did he know, he was kind of quizzing him because he's like, you know, if I ever – get another shot to be a head coach. He was at Mississippi State talking about Morehouse now. Um, I'm going to have to assemble the staff. And he's like, and and I think he was impressed with the young man. And so guess what? You know, he gets hired and this GA, Winston Delatabadir, becomes a full-time assistant at Akron. And and they had a pretty good defensive line. And um, uh, in, the, in the podcast, if people go back and listen, Winston also talks about um, how much of uh, P.J. Flex philosophy came out in him as a coach, which he didn't know he had until he just started coaching. Uh, you know, he's in charge. It is, and him being someone who, you know, graduated here and had so much success, I always joked with him when I do stories because you always, if you wanted to learn about boy and offense, you go over to Winston Delatum here. <laughs> Any defensive lineman you want to learn, you go for the story and you ask about him. I remember he's like, boy, he's going to blow the lid off the combine. And, Sure, sure enough, he did. So he did. I always joke with Winston that he would be back here coaching someday. And so I was joking with him when he ended up getting the job. I'm like, I told you, man, you'd be here. We did an interview like <laughs> right at the heart of the pandemic. And I remember just we were going through film clips together, breaking stuff down. And I'm like, dude. Yeah, you're going to be back here soon enough. Yeah, and he and he was, and he even in that podcast you mentioned, he's like, you know, everybody else, he, he goes, they always said you'll be back, and it's like maybe, and he's like, they all knew, and I didn't, and here he is. So that's fun. All right, so uh, another guy they brought in um, for the defensive back position um, is Nick Monroe, uh, who has a bunch of cool storylines relating to Minnesota. He his official title will be co-defensive coordinator, uh, and then the cornerbacks coach and of course Minnesota lost a couple of guys including on the defensive line including the uh, cornerbacks coach uh, one the cornerbacks coach went to Wisconsin and uh, anyway uh, I, I think this is a good hire here Nick Monroe who he's pretty well regarded as a recruiter nationally isn't he 
Yeah, Nick Monroe is is someone that I immediately was was intrigued by, and it's so crazy because I was doing research for the game, and I was watching all the Syracuse stuff, and I looked through the coaching staff, and I'm like, okay, who's the who's the corners coach here, and who's co DC, who's co DC, you know, interim DC for the game? It was Nick Monroe, and I went, oh, Allegheny, PA, must have crossed paths with with Joe Rossi. So I was asking Joe during the press conference at the Pinstripe Bowl about. <laughs> Nick Monroe and he's like, yeah, you know, we cross paths and he was telling an intramural basketball story, uh, officiating the basketball games, intramural basketball games or something like that. And then all of a sudden I'm asking Nick about Minnesota, you know, and he's like, yeah, my, my dad, Marty was a GA under Jim Wacker. So I spent a whole bunch of time around Minnesota. So then the quarterbacks coach job opens and I'm going, man, this, this makes so much sense for, you know, Joe having a friend and, you know, and Nick to bring him up here. And they were so good last year. They were number one in opponent explosiveness in the passing game. They're limiting explosive plays. And that group, I thought, you know, looking back at what he was able to do, Andre Sisko, Afado Melifonwu, lots of really good players that he's developed over the course of a few years. Jihad Carter going to Ohio State, transferring there, developed him up. So really good player development. Like you said, good recruiter. Uh, on the East Coast in the Jersey area, Florida and Miami, uh, Ohio from the Bowling Green days. But the thing that people aren't talking enough about is the schematic perspective here because Nick Monroe worked in a 3-3-5 defense. And I like the idea of bringing in a staff member who has experience in that system because Tony White, who is the D.C. at Syracuse, that he was interim D.C. for at Syracuse for the bowl game, is going to run the 3-3-5. Wisconsin's going to run a similar scheme that might be more multiple. So Monroe is seasoned in that, and he can provide that staff with some insight and ideas on what really causes problems for the 3-3-5 and what are some things that you can do to exploit that. So his perspective there, the tradition, the background, and he's got the best nickname on the recruiting trail, the Swag Daddy. So, I mean, you just can't even beat the nickname, the Swag Daddy. Like, they need to get some merch out. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what they're going to do, like Swag Daddy merch. Get on it, Nick Monroe. Like, yeah. if your agent, if you're listening to this pod, get your agent uh, on the Swag Daddy is Back t-shirt or something. A hundred percent. We're going to have Nick on the podcast here in a few weeks. We're at least hoping to to set that up, so I'm looking forward to that. And he he's a Matamidi native, so he grew up here because, as you mentioned, his dad was on staff here. At least he, he spent time here and then played at St. Cloud State uh, football when when the Huskies had a football team. Uh, so I think it's um, I, I think it's a, it's a great fit, and you're right. It, it just sometimes, you, you know, look, you want to have have that staff continuity there's no doubt but i also think there's benefits to having you know fresh voices come in and um and to mm-hmm. hear and you know look joe rossi knows what he's doing he doesn't need help probably but um i i know that a new voice is is fine um speaking of that that officiating story joe was was telling me a little bit more about it suffice it to say he he didn't want to get into too many details but he went from being a he was making a little side income refereeing intramural games which we all did at, at college right um and and um, there was there was a certain situation which eventually relegated him to being the scorekeeper for the rest of the year. No, no more refing games. So that was uh, I, I don't know if Monroe. I don't think Monroe was involved in that part of it. I think that was just a uh, an old Allegheny Allegheny story. But because uh, uh, it, it, the sounds of it, Monroe and um, and um, 
and Joe Rossi really crossed paths for just a few months as one was coming, yeah. one was going. But but they knew of each other, and that certainly had to help here. But yeah, that's uh, someday maybe Joe will tell that full story. But he just said, suffice it to say, the refing days ended, and he became a he became a scorekeeper the rest of uh, the intramural season that year. So um, that that basically ties up the defensive staff or wraps up the defensive staff with those additions. Um, and you mentioned that, that uh, Monroe has that three three five background. It probably doesn't mean you're going to see some three three five for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It, it can help, as you mentioned, when the Gophers face it. There, there's you know they're going to know where some of the crevices and the weaknesses might be. That said, that doesn't mean there aren't some concepts that uh, that Winston and Nick can bring in from uh, from other things that they could implement in situational play, if nothing else, right? Yep, and Dennis Dott and Carter, too, an uh, analyst that's coming in from Yale. He overlapped with Rossi at Maine. He was the co-DC and has a D-line coach background there as well. So his perspective, again, another analyst being able to come in and provide fresh ideas and perspective as well and also has continuity and, and past relationship with Joe. So, like, everybody on that defensive staff, you know, Joe has, you know, worked with and developed relationship with, and Danny Collins has been a long-time coach under Fleck and Rossi. So, I mean, they have a ton of, of continuity, really good staff on that side of the ball. We know that, I mean, you just, you, know, you marvel, you sit down. Honestly, I don't think Minnesota fans really appreciate enough how good Minnesota defense is when it comes to fundamentals, yep. uh, understanding situations, playing with great detail. Uh, they're one of the best when you go back and look at, at the numbers of, of limiting missed tackles. I mean, they're outstanding tackling fundamentals. You come to a practice and you watch Joe Rossi coach up. I did an interview with Thomas Rush for a feature, and he just talked about, like, Joe Rossi is one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around and will be one of the smartest coaches I have ever worked with. He ha- he can really do whatever he wants to do, and he's he's a rising star. Like, he's he's the whole package. Well, his nickname, like yours, the Guru. So, you know, the guru, you guys share that nickname. You're the Gophers Guru, and he's the <laughs> Gopher Defensive Coordinator Guru. No he question. hates that, though. So he's just like me. He's like, oh, don't call it the Guru. It's just bra- this is just branding, Grant. Like me, me and Ross, you'll just... Me and Rossi will just ride off into the background, you know? <laughs> well, I, I agree with you, too, in terms of I, I think the general fan doesn't realize how good the Gopher defense has been here for now. Yeah. Really, Look, you take out the first three or four games of the COVID year when that was terrible. They were no good. They knew it. They didn't have experience or playing kids that shouldn't have been playing because, one, COVID was there, and, two, they got hit by some transfers and, what, and injuries and whatever else. By the end of that COVID year, though, they were actually playing pretty stout defense, and so you count 2019 2021 and 2022 and the end of 21 was 21 the COVID year yeah the end of 21 and that team has just had some really good defense I I get the numbers might be skewed a little by pace of play the Gophers you know try to slow the game down limit the number of plays and and the Big Ten West isn't exactly known for a juggernaut a bunch of offenses so the raw numbers skewed a little but not enough to say it's not just been a spectacular defense here for almost half a decade now yeah and ability to limit explosive plays stop the run i mean this is a this is a run conference i mean you got to be able to defeat blocks you got to play you got to set the edge play with all the fundamentals that are required the run fit side of it and that's what people that on the outside don't realize the complexities of defense when it comes to run fits. Like that is such a core aspect of being successful. And Minnesota, with their defensive staff as a as a whole, 
they teach the fundamentals and the mental side of the game. I, I mean, I just go and I, I soak it all in. Like it's yeah. so fun to watch Rossi and those guys coach. Yep. And on both sides of the ball, they're not penalized much. And that certainly helps. And that's part of that coaching thing as well. They're amongst the, the least penalized teams on both sides. You can sides read a study. You yeah, can read gonna... a study on that on the website. Yeah. What what else do you got, by the way, on the website that people uh, tell us a little about the website? I want to ask you about spring ball and the combine. So we still have some things to talk about, but this would be a good chance for you to uh, tell folks about the website. I know most people are familiar. You've been on the podcast a few times, but um, uh, make your uh, make your pitch here. It's a great site. Lots of good content. Gophersguru.com. Yes, it's more of a next-gen approach to go for athletics, but also blending in the perspective of, you know, interviews, features. I just did a story with Thomas Rush on his journey. I think he's just got an outstanding story of how he became who he is. So being able to blend in, you know, who these players are and coaches and all them, it's just so much fun to tell their stories. And I, I really, that's a deep passion of mine combined with the next-gen approach of football. I spend a lot of time studying the game and thinking about it outside the box, blending in the numbers in a way that people can understand it, but also pairing up the football schematics in a way that it's simplified. So people can kind of look at the game differently. I want them to watch it and go, okay, what, what, what did I read about this this week and how was it applied and maybe teach somebody something that they didn't know about the game and also maybe teach them, you know, help them look at the game through a different lens. So that's kind of the approach is blending those things together, break down some football research stuff, and then also the features so you can get to know players and coaches. Very good. Golfersguru.com is the webpage for all the info. As we mentioned at the start of the podcast, Daniel, we're a little over three weeks from the first practice of spring ball. Um, I guess, what, just shy of two months away from – uh, the spring game itself, which is April the 22nd, 11 o'clock at Huntington Bank Stadium. Please pray for some sunshine and nice weather on that April 22nd. Uh, it's been too many times we've had to move indoors or play in rain or what have you. So let's get some good weather this week or this uh, spring, I should say. Uh, give me the top three or four storylines you think heading into spring that you will be when you attend the open practices with uh, that you will be keeping an eye on, if you would. I would start at the defensive tackle spot. What does the rotational group look like there? You, know, you got Kyler Baugh and Trill Carter, who I think, you know, you're looking for more consistency in the pass rush side of it. I just wrote a piece on that. I, you know, Trill showed what he could do, you know, previous seasons. So, you know, being able to improve in that area, I think Trill, you know, has a lot of unique traits, you know, being able to hand combat, defeat blocks create penetration in the run game like he has all those traits and Kyler Ball last year he's one of the strongest defensive tackles at the point of attack and he was just getting his you know feet wet coming in here trying to learn everything now he's at a full year I think you're going to notice a big leap from those two but then it's behind them you know Jacob Schuster Darnell Jeffries Devin Eastern uh, Logan Richter being more of a run stuffing type of defensive tackle can help you in that capacity so who emerges at that, you know, those one tech and three tech spots, you got Jeffries and Eastern there. Eastern's just got a ton of upside just physically and with athletic traits. Now it's about putting it all together. And then Jacob Schuster being someone who's really quick in the hand combat stuff is what stood out on the high school film. And he saw some flashes of it. Now it's again, just all about the development scene where he's at. I mean, we have been at a practice for a while, so I, I'm excited to watch that. I'd say the offensive line who emerges for those, starting spots you're losing the entire interior of the o-line starting wise including the center spot nathan bow 
the probably the favorite to be the starting center. I've heard a lot of good things from players about him, the transformation that he's made, his leadership and work ethic. So looking forward to seeing him. Carter Shaw transferred from Utah State. He has some center and guard experience. Played a lot of snaps at right guard at Utah State. So him, Tyler Cooper inside, or do they look at, you know, moving Quinn Carroll inside if one of these tackles plays really well in the spring, like J.J. Gaudet or Martis Lewis? Uh, putting them at right tackle and, and kicking Quinn inside, you know, the definitely options, but I wrote about all this on the website. You can check out that. And then finally, I'd say the third one is just the new additions, Crooms and Spencer at uh, the wide receiver room, Sean Tyler, running back, Brian Selig uh, at linebacker, just those additions. And then getting a feel for what the roster, where the roster's at, because May 1st to May 15th, you got another transfer window. You got grad transfers entering in where, Maybe do you go shopping and fill some you know, depth spots or also get yourself an instant contributor because today uh, Beanie Bishop entered the, the transfer portal as well. So I would not be surprised if they ended up taking a, a cornerback uh, in that room that's got some experience because now you know you got Justin Wally uh, at, at the primary outside spot. And, you know, Ryan Stapp can play outside or in. Jack Henderson from Southeastern Louisiana, a, a transfer nickel that sort of will fill that Michael Dixon role and is a huge part of what they do, you know, on the run game, stopping the run on, on first and second down, having that guy that could set the edge like that. So who emerges there? Tariq Watson, uh, Ryland Kelly, some of those younger players who get a chance to see them in the spring and then explore what happens with this tra- May transfer portal. Yeah, and and then if you're the Gophers, depending on you know who you value, you want to keep your fingers crossed that you're not losing any body of value in that same period. And you know you're like it probably there'll probably be some movement, but it is what it is, right? That's the the new world we live in. Um, you watch the um, the the breakdown of Syracuse. You mentioned the cornerbacks um, and with Nick Monroe. Uh, is there is there anything that you can discern on film in terms of how he coaches cornerback play and what that might mean to the defense? Yeah, the whole passing game coordinator side of it, you know, he was really tied into, you know, limiting the explosive plays, like I said, and and teaching the fundamentals to all of those players. Like Jihad Carter ended up going to Ohio State as a transfer. Deuce Chestnut was coveted in the portal. Like they had a lot of players that were really, really sound, fundamentally well-coached players that, you know, teams are interested in adding through the transfer portal. And Monroe, what I've heard from a lot of people is just the relationship building side of it. Like this is a very genuine guy who, you know, is outstanding on the recruiting trail that will help you a ton and build, you know, relationships with his players that last a long time. I've heard, you know, phenomenal things about just not only as a coach, but a person. So that makes sense just with how PJ approaches the type of coaches that he wants around the players and, and developing them. All right, last topic for you. The outgoing Gophers who are hoping to play professional football. The NFL Combine is next week in Indianapolis. Four Gophers invited, Muhammad Ibrahim, Terrell Smith, Jordan Howden, and John Michael Schmitz. Uh, take us through a preview, if you would, of how you envision those four, uh, uh, have, uh, what, what you might think they'll experience next week. Yeah, Terrell Smith was at the East-West Shrine Bowl and certainly performed extremely well. I had a chance to watch all the practice, all 22, and saw so many good reps. Like, we all knew his ability to cover vertical routes and, you know, uh, lean and locate and make, you know, pass breakups and that side of it. And, you know, just being able to show that he could play in zone and man and be able to break on the ball and have the instincts to understand the different route combinations. I thought he had a nice 
East-West Shrine Bowl, and now he gets to show his athletic ability. I think he's going to run really well. You saw his 100 meter when he came into Minnesota. He's extremely fast, and I think that's something that he'll show at the Combine. I see like a cross between Fabian Morrow and Jamel Dean, a couple of current NFL players, uh, when you kind of project out what type of testing he could have. John Michael Schmitz, who was arguably, honestly, watching Senior Bowl stuff, was the, the one of the best players on the field overall. I've said for a long time, I think he is one of the safest home run picks that you can make as an NFL team. Like You want a 10-year starter that's rock solid and does everything that you're looking for, that's your guy. I comped a lot to Alex Mack. Uh, who played for the Falcons in the Shanny offenses and shined as as a center. He's got a lot of the same traits, and the measurements were so similar. I was like, this is pretty crazy to see when he measured at the Senior Bowl how close they were. So, you know, I see some teams like the Bears, the Giants, the Seahawks, maybe the Vikings if they want to solidify the center spot. Like, yeah. he can fit in multiple schemes and is a great fit. Uh, Jordan Howden, I comped him like a Chuck Clark safety for the Ravens. I thought he had a nice week working in the Patriots single high scheme. So uh, Jordan, you know, what a great story. A walk on here at Minnesota that became a key player and slowly improved. I thought his tackling over the course of his career was something he improved a ton because he was really good in coverage. He was, you know, cornerback in the past. That co- those coverage skills will suit him well. And then you look at Mohamed Ibrahim. Uh, I don't know, you know, the whole testing side of it will be interesting. You know, I don't know how much of it he's going to do with the combine, but, you know, I've always said, you know, it's interesting. The data is so bullish on like a Kevin Falk comp for Mohamed Ibrahim. And it's scary when you actually go and look at the numbers when he played at LSU, how close they were. Uh, I was kind of surprised by, by that comp, but it's, it's certainly interesting to think about. So Mo, you know, I feel like he showed at the East West Shrine Bowl's receiving ability. Patriots are really testing him hard in that area to see what he can do because if you're going to play in New England, you got to be able to catch the ball, and other teams wanted to see what he could do in that area, and I, I thought he did a nice job there. So that's another element that he can add to his game, and people know what type of person and competitor he is. So can't wait to see where, where Mo ends up. So those four guys will be at the combine. A few more guys played in in some of the All Star games. Tanner Morgan, I just I, I was on the road this week, so I was kind of half out of it in terms of, of trying to follow any kind of sports news other than go for basketball on Monday and Wednesday. But I saw he got drafted in the was was that the USFL. And I know he was yep. in two All-Star games, right? And he was on the podcast at the end of the season after, uh, you know, he got his final win in the um, in the uh, Pinstripe Bowl. So he was on the podcast at that point talking about uh, the upcoming thing. So what do you think his future holds? Yeah, and I, now he got drafted in the second round uh, by the Michigan Panthers in the USFL, but he could still go through the draft process and explore that avenue in the NFL. But Michigan will own his draft rights if he wants to take that path down the road. But now Tanner's focused on the pro day, March 15th, the University of Minnesota. I have a lot of teams there. I go through and I look at, you know, what he was able to do at the Hula Bowl. You know, he didn't have an East-West Shrine Bowl invite until after the Hula Bowl. He performed very well working with Brian Billick down there. Then he gets a uh, Shrine Bowl invite, has a chance to work with Atlantis coaching staff and a system that fit his strengths really well. And then now he's training down in Florida working away down there, getting ready for the pro day and, 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 you know, working with the receivers that he's going to be throwing to at the pro day. So, you know, I look at like some teams that I like, you know, the Steelers, uh, maybe Carolina, 
Las Vegas Raiders. You know, the Steelers, it's interesting because Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator for Pittsburgh, and he was an assistant coach when P.J. played at Northern Illinois. He was like offensive coordinator yeah. in 2003. So they have a quarterback room. You know, Mitch Trubisky could be released to free up cap space. you got Mason Rudolph, who's a UFA. So they have the quarterback room that could use somebody. So, you know, Tanner and Pittsburgh would be super intriguing. And Mike Tomlin being a coach here, I think, would fit super well with Tanner's sort of mindset. And you mentioned Tanner, Thomas Rush as well. Uh, he's going to test very well, I think. I think, you know, the NFL teams would be impressed with him. I could even see a scenario where, like, you know, I was looking at his testing numbers projecting out, like, all these teams are looking for ultra-athletic fullbacks. Like, Thomas Rush has a running back background. I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if some teams explored that avenue as well. So him and Mariano, he'll also be working out at the Pro Day as well. So it's just fun to see these guys. You know, we've been around them for years now, six, seven years. I mean, we've been through the whole journey, so we get to see him. uh you know, pursue that next step, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you said Pro Day on campus March 15th? March 15th, yes. Yeah, that, that's always a fun day to go uh, hang out and see, you know, all these scouts. And the testosterone level is fairly high in the building on, on those <laughs> days when you got all those NFL scouts running around. I always get a kick out of it myself, uh, maybe even giggle a little bit at times. But um, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it for sure. Um, let me ask you this. And, again, I, I've been kind of out of it this week, so if people are wondering how come I don't know this, it's because I don't know this. Um, USFL and the XFL, what is it? So those are two different – who are they affiliated with? now i i can't keep track of it usfl and the xfl are two separate leagues now i would say the usfl is more of the nfl feeder league they had like 69 guys end up getting tra- training camp invites last year so they play in april and they'll, they'll they'll start i think the end of april is the first few games there and that season stretches out throughout the spring and then xfl just started last weekend that's Dwayne the rock johnson's league uh, that that's more of a, uh, it's brand new. I mean, a developmental league, but, uh, USFL, I would say is kind of one of the leagues that I could see potentially down the road, becoming a feeder league for the NFL. If they want to bring that in under their umbrella to give guys an opportunity to potentially elevate up to NFL roster. Yeah. And I think that's happened, right? I mean, even from a league standpoint, some of the stuff that they implemented a few years ago, uh, even from an officiating standpoint and a game implementation standpoint, I think the NFL has used uh, since. And so, um, and in fact, just talking uh, to some, some, a couple of former golfers, they kind of regretted not taking advantage of the USFL because that can be a trek to the NFL, right? Well, yeah. And last year was relatively new. And yeah. now people see the results where it's like, hey, if you don't get a shot as a as a UDFA, you, know, you can go and, and try out the USFL. I, I would say with Tanner, one of the things right now was NFL teams are valuing experience so much. These quarterbacks, you look at like scouts are asking themselves, what did you miss on Brock Purdy? Like, what was the element? What was the trait? And it, it was experience. That's what everybody in the league is talking about right now. So the timing of that Brock Purdy thing, plus the whole idea of watching a playoff game where you can't have a third quarterback on the roster, I would anticipate maybe the league adding the third quarterback rule back, or you can have a quarterback on the practice squad that, that doesn't count against your two weekly elevations. So the, the amount of quarterbacks in the league might've just expanded. So that's some, those are two things that, Tanner will certainly benefit from. Yeah, and Tanner probably has that kind of almost backward stuff. He's not going to be a first-round pick, obviously. And so first-round picks, teams always want – they want a 21-year-old, right? But later on, Mm -hmm. whether it's a late-round pick or an undrafted guy, you can pay a 24-year-old quarterback rookie money. So in a weird way, that can help 
uh, Tanner Morgan, right? In in the sense that, yeah, we got a guy who is old but is cheap. Well, and he's experienced. You know, PJ's talked about his football IQ and his understanding of the game. Like those starting quarterbacks, they love to have people in that room who can bounce ideas off each other, talk about what's going on during the game. And so Tanner's football IQ and that side of it, that that's extremely valuable and something that teams value when they're looking at who's, I mean, look at David Blau quarterback for Purdue. He's been a journeyman back up across the league. And, you know, Kirk Cousins talked a lot about his ability to get him ready for games and how valuable that is. So Tanner having that trade is is something that I think will will help him throughout the draft process. Indeed. All right, Daniel, I said we'd have you on for 30 minutes and 64 minutes later, we're wrapping up podcast episode number 59. That just means you have good stuff, brother. I know we we probably talked too long, but I hope people enjoyed the uh, the content. Gophersguru.com. Go find out all the information, all kinds of great content. One more time, uh, let let us know what the top uh, three or four headlines on Gophersguru.com are right now. People should come and see. You can come check out my feature on Thomas Rush. Uh, just an insight on him and his football journey. Some offensive line write ups on you know some things to watch for entering spring ball. Uh, talked about interior defensive line push, the value of that, looking at some of the numbers and what Minnesota can do to improve in that area this year. So check it out. $5 a month gets you access to all the uh, the content. All right, very good. Golfersguru.com, Daniel House. Look forward to seeing you at uh, Spring Ball here in a few weeks, and certainly uh, we will catch up again on the Go Gopher podcast and find out uh, what you're up to next. Appreciate it, Graham. All right, there he is, Daniel House. It's episode number 59. I hope you enjoyed getting so much insight on gopher football from the gopher guru Daniel House from gophersguru.com. My thanks to Daniel for coming on the podcast. We'll have Daniel back on the podcast during the spring football season. The Go Gopher podcast episode number 59 is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com. Affinity Plus is your local credit union proudly serving Minnesota Minnesota since 1930 and a proud sponsor of the Go Gopher podcast. If you're a current Gopher student or a proud Gopher alum, you're eligible to join a financial that wants to build a meaningful banking relationship and put you first. You can meet with a local employee at any of their branches statewide, including right off campus in Minneapolis. To learn more or find other ways to connect, go to affinityplus.org slash go gophers. Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. We're also brought to you by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts, and right now be sure to click the subscribe button to the Go Gopher podcast. It's free to subscribe and free to listen. Hope you enjoyed listening. We'll talk again next week.